Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one solemn page of Talmud every day. And I say solemn because in today's pages, the rabbis talk about, well, about the thing that weighs most heavily on all of us. Here goes. The sages say in response that a woman who vows that impurity imparted by the dead is forbidden to her also suffers pain as a result. How so? As it is written, and the living shall lay it to his heart. And it is taught in a baraita that Rabbi Meir would say, What is the meaning of that which is written, and the living shall lay it to his heart? This means that one who eulogizes others when they die will in turn be eulogized when he himself dies. One who weeps for others will be wept for when he himself passes away, and one who buries others will himself be buried upon his passing. A woman who cannot participate in the funerals of others because she is barred from contracting impurity through contact with a corpse is distressed by the thought that she will receive similar treatment when she dies. Therefore, her vow involves affliction and can be nullified by her husband. The conclusion is that this case does not present a difficulty for Rabbi Yochanan. In other words, the rabbis remind us that even if someone says, I'm just not going to be anywhere near dead people because I just can't, well, that is not a viable proposition because the chesed, the kindness that we do the dead as we eulogize them and bury them, cry for them, remember them, is precisely what we all wish would one day be done for us. And I would like now to welcome back to the show my dear friend, Tanya Singer. Hello. Hello, Leo. Natani, we've spoken about this on the show once or twice before. You lost your father just this Yom Kippur. And so grappling with grief is something that is still very much raw for you. When you read an assertion like that saying, we don't have a choice but to grieve. We don't have a choice but to eulogize. We don't have a choice but to be in these very dark, difficult places. Of course, it would be much easier to say, I vow this is not for me. Goodbye. But we can't because we're all part of this cycle and we owe our dearly departed this last kindness. Does that resonate with you? It's funny. I mean, the grieving is something I feel totally unexpert at, which I think is, is a good thing. I'm grateful that I'm unexpert at it, but it's, it's one of these places in life where you suddenly find yourself. I suddenly found myself in this place where I have no idea what to do. I don't know what I'm doing and I don't like feeling like I don't know what I'm doing. And I thought I had a pretty good understanding of Judaism and what its framework was for me here, but like the practicality of that is really complicated and sort of fitting grieving into my already packed schedule, like figuring out what to do and how to do it has actually been and continues to be really, really hard and frustrating. And I think underneath it all is just like, because grief sucks and like loss is so incredibly painful and the depth of that, I've sort of come to the short conclusion, which is like, nothing I do will be enough. Like I could do everything to the letter of the law and it will never make me feel like I've done enough for my father and for me and for my family and like all the myriad ways this touches my dad's siblings who are still alive, my mom, my stepmother. It's like, this is such a complicated web of people and relationships. So for me, as a mourner, I wrote a eulogy for my father. I wrote it many times in my head on the way to the hospital for the month that he was dying. And I never wrote it down until finally, like, the week where I was making funeral arrangements for him, I was like, I really need to write something. Like, there would be no way. My dad was such a talker. There would be no way I wouldn't talk about my dad. That would be the most horrible insult to him to not talk. And... 
So I wrote something and I, again, had that feeling of like, it's not enough. Like, it's just not right. And I talked to a couple of people I trust who lost parents. And they said, you're speaking to him. This is like between you and your father in this moment. And I rewrote, I threw out everything that I wrote. And I started with letters he wrote to me when I was a tween in sleepaway camp. And I can't believe I still have these letters. But somehow I had this box of, it says bunk junk on it. And it has all this crap from camp and, and not crap and treasures. And it had in it these letters from my dad and just so him. And so I felt like the best way to honor him was to like talk about our relationship and the special pieces of him that I felt like only I had access to and the way he spoke to me and wrote to me. And so that's how I started and that's how I ended. And um, my dad was a big hugger and I'm going to cry, but I ended with like my dad wrote in the letter, I could really use a hug and... So I ended with with that and how I wished I could just give him a hug. And so I had so much family there and so many hugs. But but what I just miss is my father. And I was thinking about it, you know, many times every day, really. I think about missing him or I'll see someone that, like, reminds me of him in a tiny way. And I'll forget that he's gone and... I want to just call him. Like, I just have this flicker of a moment of like, oh, call dad. And I can't. And I think it must be what it is when people have like phantom limbs and they have sensation in a limb that's not there. And I think when the rabbis talk about like your heart, it's like that is a limb for me that has sensation. That's it's forgetting that it can't talk to him. And... That's like what leads to sort of that feeling of like confusion for me, like everyday little confusion. And it's a microsecond. It's like nothing. It's not even a minute of like thinking I could call him, but it's every day. So the thought of saying like, I'm just not going to deal with it. It's like you have no choice. Like you have no choice. I think what you have a choice about is how you face it. And that's where the struggle is for me is how I how do I use Judaism? How do I use my family? How do I how do I engage with all these things to do this work? Look, I am very fortunate to never have lost a parent, but have lost a number of people who are very near and, and dear to me. And, and so one thing that occurred to me as I read today's page of Talmud is that this is precisely the terrible yet so profound and absolutely necessary reminder that the rabbis give us they tell us not to mourn is a life-threatening affliction because they know very well that this would be our instinct because they understand how foreign and strange grief is. Furthermore, they understand that there is no right answer. Those questions that you're asking, it's not like you could go meet with a rabbi or a shrink or a best friend who would tell you, oh, okay, Tanya, for the next, I mean, yeah, Judaism has a lot of rituals that are here to make sure that you have some guidance, but it's not like there's one kind of prescription that would emotionally take you past this unbelievably crushing weight of sorrow and, and loss and despair that we feel when we lose a loved one. So I think that the great wisdom, and, and I love the way you put it, the, the phantom limb, the great wisdom is to say, no, not to mourn is actually an affliction because not to mourn is to thrust yourself away from everything that is human. Prepare for all these feelings. Prepare for the sense of uncertainty and helplessness 
that is actually what we want you to feel. And weirdly, that's the good feeling. The feeling of not doing it, that's what's hazardous to your health. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think, I don't know how to talk about my faith in God. And I know there's something, and I don't know how to talk about it. And I think, like, funny things happen if you're open to observing those things that happen. And I think there's a force behind those things. And and you know, Liel, that I switched synagogues about a year and a half ago, just before my stepfather died. And I went through this process of grieving a Catholic step-parent and what that was without eulogy, without the chance to speak about him. And my brand new rabbi, who had just met me, offered to host a minion for my mother and for me and gave us a chance to talk about my stepfather and who made like the world's greatest sauce and was like truly an Italian. <laughs> like there was, you know, and it was so healing and so perfect. So to have that chance for my dad albeit one that was cut short because Yom Kippur leads right into Sukkot, to me to not even have a full shiva, it's hard. It was really hard. And I, I'm so glad that I had the chance to talk. We talked, we had a lot, we had six people talk at my dad's funeral, and it's like everybody left saying like, wow, you all had a lot to say. And that that's like just what my dad would have wanted. Like he would have been so happy that all of us had so much to say and some of us sang. And it was really funny. Some Somebody wrote poetry. Like it was all these things together. And I think it goes back to those like funny coincidences, which aren't really coincidences. But like as I was coming here this morning, my new rabbi, we're now 18 months into this relationship, texted me to say, are you going to the Shiva tonight for this other congregant? And I said, I don't know who that is. And he said, that's okay. The idea is that we hold each other up and that we behave as like one community together and that we're no one's alone. It was just this moment of like, here I am coming in to talk to you about this. And here's the rabbi again. And he just like knows just when to surface. And I said, you have this uncanny, like way of showing up. Hashem works in mysterious ways. Yep. Tani Singer, thank you so much. Thank you, Leah. For being our guest. Thank you. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And get your Take One merch, t-shirts, mugs, and other great stuff at tabletstudios.com. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Daf Yomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruskay, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Tanya Singer, Courtney Hazlett, Robert Scarmucha, and Mark Oppenheimer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash take one or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter at takeone.fiomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic.